But five students rededicated their life or gave their hearts to the Lord for the first time last Sunday night. Isn't that exciting? And it's a result of prayer. We've said nothing of eternal significance happens without prayer. And I just want to encourage you, Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, carve out an hour and 15 minutes out of your schedule. Come and pray with us, and let's believe God for continued supernatural um, uh, outpouring, uh, exactly what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. Amen? Amen. And you guys are blessed because of the prayers of our intercessors that are interceding. And you say, I'm not an intercessor. That's okay. You come and pray. We're, we're teaching you how to pray. And there's, it's, it's easy. It goes by so fast, believe me. And, uh, but it's so, so important. Amen? Amen. Well, Jared this morning was going to preach also. <laughs> and uh, our missionary, we like to hear a missionary message. And uh, when we heard that he wasn't going to come and we pulled the trigger to do Skype, um, this previous week I, was, uh, I had planned in my week uh, to do some praying and fasting and some planning for the future for the church and to just kind of lay out some things and get away. And I did that on Monday and on Thursday, spent the whole day at Maranatha Conference Retreat Center. And how many, those are good times for me. Uh, good times in your life, too, uh, when you can get away and just, you know, uh, eliminate distractions. But anyway, I knew that I wouldn't have a proper amount of time to study and, uh, and to, to bring a message this morning. So I asked um, my good friend, John Taylor, who is ready in season and out. I mean, this guy is uh, fantastic. He has taught on Wednesday nights many times. He's preached several times, and uh, he's passionate about Jesus. He loves the Lord. His family is just a wonderful example of uh, a godly influence uh, in the community, reaching out. And John used to pastor over on the east side of the state or kind of the central state. Um, Doesn't pastor anymore, but I'm telling you, his ministry, uh, he is now working with um, AmeriCorps and uh, all across Michigan, uh, basically, what do you do? <laughs> you, you take volunteers and, uh, and make things happen in different communities for, for good, for community development and all those things. And his wife does the same thing right here in Muskegon. Anyway, we love you guys. And uh, this morning, would you give a great big warm welcome to John Taylor as he comes and brings the word and talks about making room for more of God's Word in our heart. Kind of a follow-up from last week. God bless you. Love you. That's okay, Pastor. I don't know what I do half the time. So, uh, It has been interesting in uh, what, we, what, what the AmeriCorps program does is it takes uh, people that want to commit a year of their life or sometimes two years of their life to help their community and it's uh, sometimes a shortcut they use for it is calling it the domestic peace corps and we basically pay them a small amount and then they go uh, somewhere in their community and uh, support uh, the efforts in that community and our particular group goes in and works in uh, health centers that serve the underserved um, and it's really been interesting in that role because I've had more uh, people that we have brought in that have been with us for a year. Uh, the guy that works with me is, is also a Christian. Um, and we've had more people get saved 
or rededicate their lives to the Lord than all the time I was pastoring, uh, which is just to encourage those of you uh, that think that your day-to-day job is not the ministry of the Lord. Uh, You definitely are doing the ministry of the Lord. You're where God's called you and where God's placed you. And you may not be able to, in, in some situations, stand up and and you know proclaim the word like you could in church on Sunday but you don't hide it either uh, all of my people that work for us uh, this year we're going to have about 40 of them across the state of Michigan they all know I'm a Christian uh, they all know I, I've pastored uh, they all hear me if they're going through difficult times I, I've never had anybody turn down prayer when I say can I pray with you um, a lot of times if they say, I don't believe in prayer, I say, that's okay, I do. It'll make me feel better if I pray for you. Um, and God changes their lives. God changes their lives. So if you could today turn with me to Second Timothy 2.15. And I really want to, uh, uh, I, you know, it, I, I heard our missionary this morning and I just thought, Man, I wish he was here to preach. I don't want to preach. I want to hear him. Um, just a heart that God has for the lost. And, and already you, can, you could feel the anointing. His, his, uh, they were speaking how God connected him and his wife. And now there's a family being born in, out of that. And, and they're going to an area where there are unreached people. And we, we forget that sometimes because we're so inundated with the gospel here that we forget there are places where people have never heard it. But we live in a culture today where most people may have heard about Jesus, but we have a whole generation. That's why it was a blessing to see our young people up here. We have a whole generation that don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They think it's just one religion among many. And so we have an unreached world out here, and that's really kind of the gist of... What I want to talk to you about this morning has I piggyback off of pastor's sermon last week. So 2 Timothy 2.15, and if you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. And this is what the passage says. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and I praise you, and I pray that you would honor your word this morning. I know you will, Lord, that uh, in spite of our our weaknesses, in spite of the fact that flesh is speaking, Lord, the Spirit speaks through flesh. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each of us uh, right at the point of, of need and right at the point that we need to hear your word, Lord, in your name. Amen. Paul's giving some advice to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor, but and, and Paul's giving Timothy the advice that he needs to... Uh, Timothy actually was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, uh, but he also... Ephesus was a, a church that kind of... It, it had been church planning, and so it oversaw some churches in the area. And Timothy is overseeing several churches, and he's raising up elders in these churches, and they're doing what we're talking about doing. Uh, We've been doing it, but we're talking about taking it another step next Sunday. They're multiplying, 
And so Paul's giving him advice as a pastor on what to teach these elders and what to teach the people and how to present the word. But the idea here isn't just confined to pastors. Now, as you're a pastor and you're looking at this and you're reading this, pastors should be doing these things. But it's in the scripture because Christians should be doing this, these things. You have a responsibility, as pastor said last week, to dig deeper into the word of God. But as you're digging deeper into the word of God, you need to rightly divide that word of truth so that you're presenting the gospel in a clear way that people can understand. If we're talking about people coming into our church as we go to two services and filling the empty seats, they need the truth. And they need it more than just on Sunday when pastor's up here preaching the word. That's going to nourish them and, and give them some wisdom and give them some growth. But they need it when they're engaging with each of us. They need it when we invite them over for dinner and they have questions about the gospel. They need it when they're growing as, as a disciple and they have questions or they have discouragement or they have trials or they have successes and they need to know how to handle that. And we have that responsibility, church, and if we bring people into the pews and we don't teach them and we just let them out on their own. And we just say, well, pastor will give them a good sermon on Sunday, but they're living the rest of their life the rest of the week. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be discord. There's going to be disharmony in the church and out there. And it amazes me sometimes, people that have been raised in church. It amazes me, people I work with that say they're Christians and some of the things they say and do. And it's not just because you know, they're fleshly or they're, or, or they're not maturing. It's because they don't know how to grow. They don't know how to mature. And so Paul's giving this advice to Timothy. And he actually begins uh, talking to him in, in verse 14, and he says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. When you hear what I'm going to really dig deep into this morning, you need to keep this in focus. What are we to remind them of? What is the gospel? And what does it mean that we don't quarrel about words? I have in my Bible here uh, uh, some notes I, I took on this passage, and I wrote, dig deep. This was before Pastor did his series on digging deep. And then I said, rightly, lay down a way. It means to build a road, uh, to give accurate instruction. And then I wrote, do your best to teach the word and the truth correctly. You see, we carry a heavy responsibility as believers when we say that we're proclaimers of God's word. And I want to give you some examples quickly to kind of show you why we need to do this. In the 1800s, there was a group, before the Pentecostal movement started, before the Azusa Street revivals and, and all of the stuff that led to what we now know today as the Pentecostal movement or the Charismatic and Pentecostal movement that birthed the Assemblies of God as, as, as a group, there was a group of, of believers out in, in the world in the 1800s, and they had a new revelation from God, and they were tongue talkers, and they spoke in tongues. So if you heard them speaking in tongues, you, you might say, unless you were discerning of spirit, boy, they, they sound like one of us, and they would talk about serving Jesus Christ. 
And then they had this other kooky stuff about having multiple wives and about this angel Moroni that came down from heaven and gave some golden plates, and it was the foundation of the Mormon church. They're not the gospel. Even today, there are people that try to say the Mormons are Christians. The Mormons will try to tell you they're Christians. That's not the gospel. Another example, I was... Um, Newly saved years and years ago, and I was actually, uh, I've said this before, you know, I, I heard everybody kept telling me all these cool things that were happening in Tulsa and all these great people that were in Tulsa, and I asked somebody, is God in Tulsa? And they said yes, and I moved to Tulsa because that was my understanding at the time of God. But I had just gotten saved, and, and I'm in a, a laundromat doing my laundry, and there's this lady, and she's been doing her laundry and she's now over at the steamer and so she had her clothes hung up and she's steaming them and all of a sudden she turns to me and she holds up this little pamphlet like this and she says do you want to know what God says will happen in the end and I'm a new believer and I'm thinking this is a fellow Christian and I said well I already know what's going to happen in the end and she says but do you want to really know this will tell you and I said, I already know Jesus Christ is going to return. And as soon as I said that name, Jesus, this lady literally stood up on her toes. Her eyes glazed over. She did a complete circle in front of me. She dropped her magazine, and she walked out of the place, left her clothes there, walked out of the place. And I picked up the magazine, and it said, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And I didn't even know. I, later, I worked with a Jehovah's Witness I didn't even know at that point what that really was, but I just knew something was wrong. <laughs> and I went and talked to uh, a, a, an elder Christian and, and just you know, kind of told him what happened and said, she gave me this. And he said, well, she's a Jehovah's Witness or a cult. And he said, but it also sounds like this woman had a demon. <laughs> and when you said the name of Jesus, uh, she went out. So those things are out there. And I'd like to talk to you about something that you don't hear mentioned too often in, in our churches today. I want to talk to you about doctrine and dogma. And for some of you, these are naughty words in today's church. Some of you have been hurt by these words. Some of you have been in other denominations or other groups and you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or you begin to dig deeper into God's Word, and you were told politely or not so politely it was time for you to leave. You may have even been, I know of somebody here in the, our, our church that was condemned as a heretic because he believed the Word of God. Some of you have been wounded in the name of God, and I believe that today is a day for your healing. Others have grown up, in, and this is a lot of our young people today, well, I don't need doctrine. I've heard things like, I just, I just want to follow Jesus. But they have such a mix of what they believe. I mean, I've talked to young people that, that have not been really raised in, in, in churches like ours where they're getting good, sound doctrine from the Word of God. And, you know, they're 
aunt that they love dies and they believe that their aunt's following behind them, protecting them now as a guardian angel. And, and uh, they believe that their dead loved ones are coming to visit them and they believe that uh, they can have the healing power of crystals in their hands and whatever crazy stuff you could come up with. But they say they're a Christian and they say they're a believer because they haven't been taught and they're not taught to dig into this because even if they hadn't been taught and they were digging into this, they would know. As a young Christian, I went to a Catholic charismatic service. A friend of mine, his, he had gotten saved and his mom was a very devout Catholic and she was a little offended that he'd gotten saved and was going to Assemblies of God Church. And she's like, well, we speak in tongues too. And she went to a Catholic charismatic service. And I'm going to say right up front, I have relatives that are Catholic that are saved, that I believe are born again. And I have relatives that are Catholic that I believe if something doesn't change in their life, their destination is hell. So I'm not condemning a, 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 a denomination here as far as the people in it, if they can be saved or not. I'm talking about the denominational doctrines and how they line up with the Word of God. So we went to this Catholic charismatic service. And as we're at the service, people begin to prophesy, and they begin to speak in tongues. Well, I, I didn't know. I went the day before Halloween. It was All Souls Night in the Catholic Church. They pray for the dead, that they could be saved from purgatory. And I didn't, you know, my wife's a former Catholic. She was, when she was young, they were Catholic. I didn't know anything about Catholicism. I mean, I'd never been really exposed to it at that point in my life. And there's these prophetic words coming. People are giving tongues and interpretation, and it's about praying for the dead. And I'm like, that's not in the Bible. I've never heard that. And I knew instantly something wasn't right there because I'd been digging in here. But if I hadn't been digging into here, I could have went in a direction that's just a waste of time. So some of you have been wounded by these. Some of you haven't understood why doctrine's important. Some of you, these are naughty words. But I have to give a warning to others. Others don't like these words because it means you, have, you, you can cast off the restraint of God's word. And that leaves you on dangerous ground. You think you can believe what you want to believe. You think it's okay to believe in in God, and you think it's okay to pull from this what you want to believe and from this what you want to believe. But I want to tell you that Christian gospel and Christian doctrine is very clear. There are parameters. There's a restraint. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off restraint. Some of you may have heard it in the old King James. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. There are some very clear guidelines. Theologian Robert Duncan Culver says this about the word doctrine. He said, what the church of Jesus Christ believes, teaches, and confesses On the basis of the word of God, this is Christian doctrine. I have to tell you, my son-in-law is a a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And there is a lot that I don't agree with. 
I was picking on him, they, you know, when, when he was still at seminary and we were walking past seminary and they have uh, this thing that they, I forget what it was at one point, but they turned it into a fountain and so it's like, it looks like a wading pool and there's this little fountains in there and, and uh, I was picking on him because the, the Lutherans believe in infant baptism. We, of course, believe in baptism by immersion when you're an adult and uh, I was just teasing him and I, I said, uh, Grandpa has a use for that when you and Talitha have children. I said, I'm going to take my grandchildren and baptize them in this pool when they get old enough. And he's like, over my dead body. Um, but we've sat down and, and we've talked about areas where our doctrines differ. And the thing that I, that, and he's born again and he's saved. And there's things that he's never going to sway Virginia and I from. But the thing I liked when we had the discussion is both of our doctrines were based on the Word of God. It was just, I didn't think he was taking in the whole counsel of God's Word, which is what the Assemblies of God also, that AG stands for all the gospel. It means not that we think we have it all, but that we want it all. (laughs) So I can accept him as a believer. I can respect him because it really did encourage me that their doctrine even in areas where I think it differs from the gospel, is really based on their understanding of the gospel. And I just think that they've missed some pieces of it that they haven't looked at. I say that to tell you to have a little bit of grace towards those who differ. But what I'm going to talk to you about today as we go through this is to understand that somebody can be a Christian and have a little bit of doctrinal difference But the essential core of the Christian faith is always the same. It's always the same. Doctrine is a call to restraint. It's a commitment to a prophetic vision, which I love as a Pentecostal. It's a commitment to a prophetic vision. We're saying that we need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear something outside of ourselves to give us revelation, to guide us in the way we should go. And it's not just hokey-pokey, you know, spiritual goosebump-feely stuff. It's God leading us to, hey, go to a second service and let me give me room to do something. It's God leading us in the workplace to say, hey, this person that you dislike, pray for them, minister to them, uh, love them. It's the, the, the realization. I was going through some challenges this week at work, and I was just digging into the Word, not only in preparing for this, but just because of the challenges, and they were weighing me down. And I wasn't even really specifically like going to specific verses looking for an answer. I was just digging into the Word and saying, God, speak to me. And God spoke to me, and there was a situation going on where, where I felt that in this situation, I was right. But somebody in authority at work didn't feel that this, this direction I was going was right, and we had some discussion about this. And as the Word of God was speaking to me, I was reading a passage, and, and, and the Spirit was convicting me, and I said, but God, I'm right. And you know what the Lord said to me? You have no rights. You've laid them down. You're my slave. I'm calling you to humble yourself in this situation. Let me deal with it. And I did. And you know, when I did that, the, the other person involved in this said, sent me an email back and said, 
you know, I've been thinking about this, and I think you might actually be right. <laughs> but, you know, I could stand for my rights. We live in a country where we have rights, and I think the church has made the mistake of thinking, and we can exercise those rights, but we've made the mistake of thinking, I have rights, and Christ has said to us, lay down those rights and humble yourselves and serve your fellow man. If we do that, the gospel will change them. So it's a call to prophetic vision doctrine that takes seriously the word of God, a desire to rightly handle God's word, to literally lay down a road of truth before us in a culture that's built on shifting sand so that we can stand committed as a light shining in the darkness, reflecting the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what bothers me immensely? When we hear a story like our missionaries and there's places where people don't even have this. They've never heard this. And I can walk today into a Walmart and there's Bibles lined on the shelf. Many of us have them in our... I don't even know how many Bibles I own. I'll be honest. I mean, I love the Word of God and they're all over my house. And many times we leave them sit when we have decisions to make or when we could be using our time in a more valuable way. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have entertainment and we shouldn't do those things, but many times this gets set to the side and we wonder why the church is anemic. But then imagine that person that's destined for hell right now and they've walked past this hundreds of times in, in a Walmart. I'm not saying they've set their place in a Christian bookstore or in a bookstore, and it doesn't mean anything to them because none of us have shared it. What would be worse? To be a person that's never heard the gospel or to be a person that's been surrounded by it but never understood it? and realize all the riches that were around you and you still ended up in hell and what would be really bad is to realize all the believers that were around you and they never shared the word Christian doctrine requires the believer to spend time in God's word that's why I'm talking building on pastors message of digging deep one definition describes doctrine as the term generally given to the body of teachings that result from sustained engagement with Scripture. The idea, folks, is it's not important that you get all the pamphlets about what the Assemblies of God believes, not that you shouldn't take use of those things, or that if you were in another fellowship, you find out all that the Baptists believe or all that the Lutherans believe. It's important that you be in this and as you're learning what the assemblies of God believes, you should be like the Bereans when Paul was teaching them, and Paul commended them because they dug into the Word to see if what he had to say is true. And you should be reading the Word and studying it to see if what is being said is true. And you should be holding to this and clinging to this. And if you're sustained, having sustained engagement in the Word, doctrine will begin to develop. You'll begin to do things like say, what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? 
and, and you'll take notes in your margin or your notepad and you'll write down the things you learn about Jesus Christ. What does the life of David have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Years ago, I taught a group of Teen Challenge students on the life of David, and it just amazed me as I dug into that, the things that David knew about Jesus Christ, even though Jesus Christ hadn't yet walked the earth. And I began to realize how the Old Testament gives us a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when you begin to have sustained engagement with the Scripture, and, I, and, I, and it's like Pastor said last week, it's not sitting down and saying, I haven't read the Scripture all week, so I'm going to take Saturday and read it for eight hours. That's like I haven't eaten all week, so I'm going to gorge myself for eight hours, and then I'm going to be sick. It's just making the Scripture part of your life. It's just making it a part of the meal. It's just, you know, I don't always remember what Virginia cooked for me two weeks ago, but it sustained me. Sometimes you'll be reading the scriptures, and there may not be something right then that jumps out at you, and you may not remember what was cooked two weeks ago in the Word of God. But all of a sudden, when you need it, it's sustaining you. It comes to the front. It comes to your mind. It's, it's speaking to your heart. It empowers you to walk on a path of truth. And did you catch that idea of sustaining? When we we talk about sustaining you, it also means that it restrains what you believe because you're not carried away by every wind of doctrine because you know what the Word of God says. It empowers you as you're walking on that path of truth to have an answer when others are asking the question, Pilate once asked Jesus, what is truth? Because we live in a culture today where there is no definition of truth. As a culture, truth is relevant, relative. Truth is what works for you. Truth is whatever religion gives you goosebumps. And as a result, we can't stand against evil. When evil raises its head. We have a culture right now that our political leaders are struggling with this concept of Islam because we want to guarantee, because one of our foundational core doctrines uh, as a nation and the Constitution is freedom of religion. And we want to grant freedom of religion, but because they don't understand truth, when they're confronted with Islam, and they get to that radical fringe of Islam, they can't speak out against it and say, this is what it is. It's terrorism. And, and, and this terrorism is being bred by this belief system. Now, that still doesn't mean that, you know, we take every Muslim in the country and round them up and put them in an internment camp. But it means we recognize when somebody with their Islam is going in a direction that's destructive and dangerous beyond to them, just themselves, but to others. Because we can answer the question, what is truth? See, we're, we're absolutists. We believe there's one way. It's through Jesus Christ. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And we need to proclaim that. I, I had a... You know, Part of my role is, which is really amazes me. It's a blessing that 
you know, so many of the people that have worked with us have gotten saved or come back to the Lord. Because we're, we, we, part of the, you know, because this is, it comes from a federal program. And so you're not supposed to proselytize. You're not supposed, you're supposed to celebrate diversity. You accept people for who they are. And so I had had a group of people and we had just trained them. And, and, uh, I think some of you probably heard this story before. And, and, uh, we we had this one guy and he was Native American and he's a Native American elder. He was in his sixties and he follows some of the teachings of the Hopi Indians that they have they have an end times view, and so he believes the world's going to end and he follows all this and and he shared openly you know as we talked about religion and respecting one another um, that he believed in a multitude of, of of gods and spiritual forces and and. Uh, we went out to eat afterwards, and I was driving our van, and we had uh, on our van a plate that said, One God, Eternal Splendor. And uh, it, this, we actually had a friend buy us another one of those because this one kept getting, people were trying to rip it off. They would get angry at this and try to rip it off our car. And he saw that plate, and he said, You can't have that on here. You just said we're supposed to respect all opinions and you're saying there's only one god and i believe in more than one god so you can't have that on here and i said i can have that on there i'm not telling you you have to believe in one god i said but i will tell you you're wrong (laughs) and i just walked away from him and the guy took it in a good way and he laughed you know and and uh i i you know and he never got saved but I was able to share the gospel and say, you know, you can tell me what you believe and I can tell you that you're wrong. Because I'm, one of the things about my belief system is it's absolute. Um, so there's ways we can share. Uh, you mentioned Frank Turek, who's, you know, I don't have faith enough to be an atheist. You know, Frank, besides his apologetic ministry, for years has been a corporate trainer. He goes in and trains people how they can do better in life and uh, he's done it for AT&T and uh, different uh, Fortune 500 companies and and uh, a couple years ago he has a company that he's I, I think this one was AT&T actually that he's worked with for like 20 years and he's never you know he's never hit his Christianity but he's never in his corporate training part of his life pushed it on people or said you know this is what you have to believe and uh, years ago, he was in a training, and this uh, homosexual activist uh, really liked his training, so he started to do some research and look up more about Frank and Googled him, and he found out he had this stuff on you don't have faith enough to be an atheist, and uh, so he started reading that, and then he found out that Frank said in uh, some of his stuff that homosexuality was a sin, and so he went and complained, and they actually fired Frank from his position, even though in that job role, he had never brought that into the role. He, and yet he was still sharing the gospel because he felt that if he was helping people to grow and professionally develop, that it would open doors for them to, to grow in other ways. And he took a stand, and he didn't do anything wrong, and he didn't break the law, and he didn't violate anybody's rights. Uh, but we live in a culture where that might happen. But we need to be able to say, but, but, but it comes to this. I'll say this to people at work sometimes who know I'm a believer, and they'll try to, you know, well, what about this? And they throw all these arguments, and I say, 
and, and I, I, I've got to go by this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry you don't like that I believe that. I'm sorry it makes you feel that way, but I'm not responsible for how you feel. <laughs> I'm responsible to go by this. In the early church, Christian doctrine was established on the foundation of the revelation of Jesus Christ, his life, his, his death, his birth, his burial, his resurrection. Uh, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture through Jesus Christ and apostolic witness and authority. In Ephesians 4, 11 through, through 14, most of you are familiar with this. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith. I have hope, see, when, when we look at the different denominations, and we all in some areas believe a lot different. I have hope. <laughs> if, 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 if at no other time than when Jesus comes, we're all going to know. They were right in this. They were right on this. We're going to have unity of faith. He's going to make the scriptures clear. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, God is telling us when he's telling us as a church to dig, dig deeper into prayer, dig deeper into my word, dig deeper into evangelism, go to two services. He's telling us all, it's time to grow up. Wherever you're at, however you think your maturity is as a believer, God is saying it's time to grow up. Following the pa uh, passing of the apostles during the period of the early church fathers when the 27 books of the New Testament were recognized as having apostolic authority, and it wasn't 300 years later, it was just shortly after the death of the apostles and, and, and the ministry of Christ when he was on earth, in response to heresy within the church and seeking to better understand the scriptural witness of Jesus Christ and out of a desire to explain the faith to the Romans who weren't understanding and to the Gentiles who weren't understanding. You know, Christians were initially the first atheists. Romans condemned us as being atheists because we didn't believe in the gods. We believed in one God. They didn't have a problem with putting Jesus in the pantheon of gods, but they didn't like that we said one God. So because we didn't believe in the other gods, we were atheists. Try that with an atheist, you know, when they're, you're talking to them and say, hey, really, we were the first atheists, so let me tell you what atheism really is. <laughs> it's not a disbelief in gods, in God. It's a disbelief in gods. Um, but they, they, they began to recognize that they needed to teach us and so out of a desire to rightly handle the word of truth, they begin to formulate doctrinal statements. So we have the Apostles' Creed early on. I can never remember the Apostles' Creed, even though I see it and say, say it, but I can sing it when I think of Rich Mullins. You know, he has the song, I Believe. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and maker of earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten. And you could go on and on through the creed. So, you know, there's ways. But that's the essential truth of the gospel, see? They just put it in a doctrinal formula. Good doctrine, whatever the denomination is, should never be based upon speculation, 
but defined by the parameters of scriptural revelation. So that's my issue with a lot of Catholic doctrine. When they're finding their doctrine based on scripture, the areas where I believe that they're scriptural, even if I might not agree with them, I'll give it some consideration to study. When they're just saying the Pope said this in 1562, and so it's doctrine, no. And we all do it. Pentecostals have our little things like that, you know, that we may not admit it, but we do it. The early church fathers recognized, however, that not all doctrine carried equal weight. So they even argued among themselves. Even during this period, there were some differences in interpretation. However, they recognized that there were essential doctrines that defined the Christian faith. These doctrines were based upon scriptural witness, tradition, reason, and experience. Now, some of those words are bad words for some of you. Tradition, reason. Pentecostals aren't too bad on the experience part. But I can go into another church, and I've been. When I worked with Teen Challenge, I preached in all different denominations. And if I say the word experience, woo. We need reason. John Wesley actually had this drawn up as a square. You could make a square, and then you draw a line down and a line across. And John Wesley, this is called Wesley's quadrilateral, but it existed way before Wesley, the idea. The idea is those are four things that we do base our understanding of the gospel on. Scripture should be the key. Scripture should be the things from which all others flow. But when you don't understand something in Scripture, you can look back through tradition and see what traditionally the church has taught about this. But if tradition becomes higher in place in Scripture, then you have a problem. Reason just says simply that we believe that God's a God of order and he's given us a reasonable mind and things will make sense. But when we begin to elevate reason to the place where we say, for instance, with us Pentecostals, speaking in tongues just doesn't seem reasonable to me. And we elevate reason above everything else. Or the fact that God exists doesn't seem reasonable to me. And we have people today that call themselves Christians. I was just reading on a, a site yesterday, this guy that's a was trained, was a Baptist pastor, a biblical theologian, so he's a trained theologian. He's got two PhDs in, in, in theological studies, and he went off and became an atheist and doesn't believe in God, but he's still at this college as a trained theologian. And he says, this is what the scriptures teach, but we don't really need to believe in God. It's not essential. Uh, that's kind of essential. Experience. If as Pentecostals, one of the reasons we get called flaky sometimes, and it's rightly so, is sometimes we've elevated experience above Scripture. And I have to tell you, I've had some supernatural experiences in Pentecostal circles that I walked away from, and I know supernaturally something happened, but it didn't line up for me with Scripture. And I've just said, I don't know what happened there, what was going on, but I'm staying away from that. 
Those are four things that we use, but they all need to be filtered through the lens of Scripture. If we elevate one of those other three categories, if we elevate tradition, reason, or experience above Scripture, we're going to get off into some crazy things. So when we talk about these essential doctrines that define the Christian faith based upon those four categories, those beliefs that were common to all Christians... These essential doctrines are what's known as dogmas. It literally means these are the doctrines we would die for. And here's how you identify a true Christian church. There's only five essential doctrines, believe it or not. Now, we have essential fundamental truths, and in our fundamental truths, as the Assemblies of God, we have 16 fundamental truths. We have, in those fundamental truths, some core doctrines concerning Jesus Christ that I would die for. Other denominations have some essential truths or creeds or dogmas, and you might not agree with them, but they have some that they would die for. But every Christian denomination as a whole agrees on these six, excuse me, these five essential truths. One is the authority and the truth of Scripture. How you identify a cult, they'll always violate one of these essential truths. How you identify a reprobate or an unbeliever, they'll always violate one of these essential truths. So when they start to tell you that Scripture doesn't have authority and it isn't true, run. Number two is the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the Trinity. Run. The person of Jesus Christ, we believe traditionally in the church, based on Scripture, Scripture gives witness to this, that Jesus is 100% God. He's fully God, and he's 100% man. He's fully human. It doesn't have to make sense to us. We don't have to understand that. We can't understand that completely. But Scripture gives witness to that. We believe in his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. So when I hear somebody on TV on these cable shows that comes on and they're a theologian from somewhere and they say it's not essential that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ or in the virgin birth, in order to be a Christian, flee. That's why I kept saying six and five because I lumped the virgin birth into the person of Jesus Christ and some people break that out separate. Salvation by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. You know, I don't agree with a lot of Calvinist doctrine. I read a lot of Calvinist doctrine because they're really good. I wish the Pentecostals were better at that, at formulating what they believe. And it stretches me to read it. But I can tell you we both believe salvation by faith through grace. It's a gift of God. It's just we wrestle over what does that mean, that we believe that. And so I look at a a, a Calvinist, which I'm not. I look at an Arminian. If you don't know these words, don't worry about it, which I'm not. I look at another group, which I may not be, and I can still look at them and say they're brothers and sisters, 
I could do something with them if we were doing a citywide evangelistic campaign, but in the context of this local church, we believe what the Assemblies of God believes, and there's some of that that, you know, isn't part of what holds us together as a body. We have a shared common set of values. And finally, the soon return of Jesus Christ. Any one of those five things, if they deny the authority and truth of scriptures, the Trinity, the birth of the, the person of Jesus Christ, salvation, or the soon return of Jesus Christ, they are not to be fellowshipped with as fellow believers. I'm not saying you can't engage them, have conversation with them, but don't call them fellow believers. And the cults have gotten really good. They'll tell you sometimes they believe in these things, and you need to ask them what they I heard Mitt Romney on TV doing an interview. This was before he was running for president. It was one of these things where they're looking back on a biography channel at his life, and he's talking about his faith in Jesus Christ. And if you didn't know that Mitt Romney was a Mormon, I would have sat there, everything he said, I would have said, amen, amen. We need a man like that in the White House. I'm not saying whether we need him or not. I'm just saying looking at it from the person of faith. I would think he believed what I believe. But knowing that he's a Mormon and knowing what he means when he says those things, he doesn't believe what I believe at all. To deny any of these essentials is to do what Jude 3 said, to depart from the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Alan Nome says this, all Christian denominations agree on the essentials. The relatively minor disagreements between genuinely Christian denominations then cannot be used to argue that there is no objectively recognized core of fundamental doctrine or fundamental truths which constitute the Christian faith. I want to bring this to a conclusion and wrap this up. There's some reasons that I'm sharing with this with you today. Uh, the primary reason, believe it or not, I was telling my wife driving in, couldn't get away from this all week. When pastor asked me if I could fill in, this is what jumped in my head, and I have some notes on this because I've been... I do this. This is what I do for fun sometimes. Um, I've actually been preparing a, uh, uh, like a study on doctrine just for some time in the future. And uh, that kept coming back to my mind and, and that idea of digging deeper into the Word. And I'm like, well, that's not really an exciting thing to get up in front of the church and share. <laughs> and so it really wasn't something that I wanted to share, but it, it kept coming. So I, kept, I was praying this week and just saying to the Lord, why do you want me to share on this? Here's the key reasons. One, that you not only dig deep into the word of God, but that you make a commitment to live and think according to the restraint of God's word. So where God's word says don't do something, don't do it. Where God's word says do this, don't say, not me, Lord. Let pastor do this. No, he's calling you to do this. Follow his example. If he's faithfully teaching the word, he's up here doing that, not just to feed you, but to give you an example of how to faithfully teach the word so you can do it. See, he's preparing you and equipping you for works of ministry. But not only to, to 
live and think according to that restraint, but to avoid speculating about matters beyond God's word. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, We must confine ourselves to the things that have been revealed, not to the secret things that are ultimately in the mind of God. So, for instance, while Hitler was invading different parts of the world and the consolidating power in Germany and the confessing church, men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer were standing and saying what the churches as a whole were proclaiming because a lot of the churches in Germany embraced Hitler was not the gospel and we'll take a stand for the gospel even if it cost us our lives, which it did cost him. Do you know there was a debate going on in one of the German schools of theology? about how many, you've heard this phrase before, but some of you probably didn't know that this is where it comes from. How many angels could stand on the head of a pin? Number one, that's just crazy anyway for people with great minds to be arguing about. But that's a secret thing that ultimately belongs to the mind of God. I, you know, I don't really care how many angels can stand on the head of a pen. Uh, that's an extreme view, but there's things we speculate about that God just has chosen not to reveal it to us. So that's the first reason. Second reason, to encourage those who've been hurt by doctrinal stances to not be resistant to the word of God preached from this pulpit, but to diligently study the scriptures to search out God's truth while humbly receiving God's word through the ministry of others. Third, to extend grace towards those believers who interpret the scriptures a bit differently than you do while standing firm in the revelation God has provided to you. So don't hate the Lutherans. My son-in-law is one. But love them. Find common ground with them and yet stand firm in your doctrine. You know, I, it's amazed my son-in-law because I've had conversations with him, and one of the things he said is he knows we disagree in some areas. But I've never come into his church if I've been there and said, wait, you guys all need to be speaking in other tongues. Because he's responsible to shepherd his people. And I want him to be a man who really rightly divides the word of truth and diligently studies the scriptures. And if he's doing that, I can trust the Lord to correct him along the way, even if it's in eternity. I know I'm going to get some correction. And then finally, to recognize, if you're here today and you've lived life without the benefit of God's revelation... The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.2 that now is the day of salvation. Will you submit to this word and to this gospel and trust God with your life? Let's bow our heads. And if you are one of those today that just say, you know, I want to submit to God's word. I, I haven't lived according to it. I'm not saved. I encourage you to raise your hand. I won't call you up here, but just raise your hand as a witness that you want to commit yourself to God's word and to growing in God's word. And then as a believer, if you say, you know, I want to learn 
how the restraint of God's word can bring blessing to my life. I want to know good doctrine. I want to know the things that I would die for. I'd encourage you to raise your hand right now as a witness before the Lord. And Lord, I just thank you and I praise you. We thank you, Lord, for our young people today, that they have a commitment to worshiping you. But even what blessed me during worship, Lord, is that they brought the word forth. They shared your word, Lord. We need worship that's based on your word. We need missionaries who are going to reach outer Mongolia, inner Mongolia, and the rest of the world, Lord, because of your word. It's a miracle to me, Lord, to see a missionary's wife who lived in darkness and found Jesus Christ and now is going to share the message of Jesus Christ. And Lord, us as a church, as we grow... I pray that we would be a committed as a church to being rooted and grounded in our faith and in what we believe, Lord. And I pray that we wouldn't shy away from the doctrines that are, we're willing to die for, Lord, but also the doctrines that as the assemblies of God, we fully believe. We fully embrace the gospel. We believe in your healing power, Lord Jesus. We believe in your saving grace. We believe in the power of the Spirit, Lord, to, to minister in our lives beyond our human weakness. We believe in prophetic revelation in the midst of the congregation, Lord. We believe in these things, Lord, and I pray that through these things as well that you would guide and direct us, but that we would always, Lord, search the Scriptures and test these things to see if they're from you. And I thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity you've given each of us in this body to to have a place in ministry, Lord, and I pray that you would open those, the, those avenues wider, that you would fill the empty seats, Lord, and raise up new ministers and new ministries, Lord, through these seats that are going to be filled, Lord, and that you would just continue to help us to grow and knit us together in unity of the faith, Lord, that we would be a church known not only for its power, not only for its love, Lord, to reach the lost and to reach our community, not only as people who are standing on God's word, but as people who are mature in faith, Lord, committed to just touching the lives of others wherever we're at. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's thank John. Thank you. Awesome. Let's stand together. This week, you have an assignment to... Make known the Word of God and your influence uh, where you go uh, at school, students, at work, for those at work, in your neighborhoods, in your family. Let the Word of God be true. Make room for it in our hearts, and then make room for it wherever we go. Amen? Amen. And then next week, come back, 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock, and we will worship together and seek the face of God and trust God to continue to move us forward. Amen? Amen. Lord, go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you as you go this morning. Amen.